0: E A
1: Good morning and welcome to Wave Makers with Janet and Tom, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And handling the board for us today is Spring Chicken John Dunn. Answering the phones is the lovely Irene. If you want to join our conversation, you can call us at 813-239-9663, and Irene will get you through to us. You can also email us at DJ at WMNF.org or text us at 813 43 Three three zero eight eight
2: five. Florida's freshwater springs have inspired writers for more than a century, from William Bartram to Marjorie Kenan Rawlings. The late great Al Bert, who chronicled real Florida for decades for the Miami Herald, put it this way: Florida springs still set a scene that lets you imagine, with some accuracy, how it must have been before your memory started. What it was like before there were interstates and jets and skyscrapers when Native Americans or Spanish conquistadors knelt and drank from waters that looked very much like this except that in some of them the color might be clouded a bit and have a suggestion of salt or a chemical bite or even the faint flavor of cement dust yet our springs still have magic they still offer experiences that we can find nowhere else and out of those can come a sense of connection with how Florida evolved and what Florida really is. Today's Wavemakers are working to save and restore those magical places. Ryan Smart is Executive Director of the nonprofit Florida Springs Council and is joining us by Zoom. Welcome to Wavemakers, Ryan. Thanks for having me. And Michael McGrath works for the Florida Sierra Club and is on the Spring Council's Board of Directors. He joins us in the WMNF studios in Tampa. Welcome, Michael.
3: It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Uh, we want to hear from you. Um, what is your experience of the springs in in Florida? Have you been to them? Are you experiencing that? Did you experience that magic that Tom talked about? Have you seen them change over the years? You can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at and tell us about it. Tom and I have been visiting the Florida Springs since we moved here some 40 years ago, and the two of us have watched them change. Um, We're going to be talking about the policy and cultural changes that the uh, Florida Springs Council is advocating for this hour, as well as an event um, that you're hosting in uh, Safety Harbor in June, which is part of your public outreach events that you do to raise awareness of, of the springs and the importance of them to all of us. But first, tell us who's involved in the Springs Council and why it was formed. Ryan, can you talk about that?
4: Sure. The Florida Springs Council uh, was was formed seven or eight years ago by local springs advocates across Florida um, who had been working on issues related to their own springs for decades, um, but really hadn't joined together to unite across the state Um, because we didn't have... That unity, uh, we weren't having the best results in trying to protect and restore our springs. So some very smart people got together and decided to form this Florida Springs Council as a coalition of 50 uh, state, local, and national groups that are all working on springs protection issues.
2: And what are some of those groups, uh, if you don't mind? Uh, there's, you have a lot of nonprofit groups that have been working separately that are now working together. Can you give us a, a, some examples of those groups?
4: Sure, absolutely. Well, um, Michael McGrath, who's with us today, is from uh, uh, Sierra Club Florida. Uh, Sierra Club Florida has been one of our uh, first and biggest and most important um, supporters as a, as a large state and national group. Um, they've been a, a great help to us. Um, and then we have uh, a lot of local Springs groups that are really the ones that kind of jumped uh, this whole thing off, like Rainbow River Conservation, Itchituckney Alliance, Our Santa Fe River, um save the manatee club uh, is a group that we've done a lot of a lot of work with a uh, homo river alliance um there there's a whole bunch of, of local groups all working on different springs potential issues in their areas and we um you know we really work to bring those together um, and of course the Riverkeeper groups uh, st john's Riverkeeper and the rest they've been big supporters and very helpful
1: and uh you have individual members as well correct we do. We have thousands
4: of individual members, and our individual members are really what keeps us going is the uh, support that they give us. Um, we uh, we have a, actually a free membership that anyone can uh, go to our website and sign up for and find out more about our work, um, what we're doing to protect Florida Springs.
1: Well, ta- speaking of that, one what, what you... Part, a big part of what you do is lobby in Tallahassee for better laws and you coordinate legal challenges and take other action as needed to protect Florida Springs, generally lobbying to protect Florida Springs uh, all over the state. One of the things that's kind of interesting is that a lot of the springs are located in red parts of the state. Um, talk about that a little bit. Um, it, uh, this is a place where I think progressives and and conservatives come together when it comes to protecting the springs. Is that your experience? Um,
4: well, no. I, I would agree that a, <laughs> a lot of the springs are located um, in North and Central Florida, which, which tends to vote, um, you know, uh, uh, more conservatively um, or, or red. Um, you know, we're really, um, everyone says they're, they're, they're nonpartisan. You know, we're very political, but we're also very nonpartisan, um, you know, it's maybe lost on us now, but the original environmental movement in Florida was started by um, Republicans. It was Republicans nationally and in the state that really uh, did the most to set up the agencies and the programs uh, like Florida Forever um, that uh, have done a lot to conserve our waters. Um, on, you know, I think thirty or forty years ago, we were very blessed in Florida that both political parties really wanted to work together to protect the springs and rivers. Um, Unfortunately, now we think it's gone the other way. um, And regardless of political party, our springs and rivers don't really have any, you know, many champions in Tallahassee.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, We've got an email um, here from David Bryant. He says, "Um, I was impressed when Jeb Bush put in a kayak at Chatechne Springs, when there was concern about pollution from the Columbia American concrete plant in the late 1990s. I think it helped to change Jeb's mind about how Florida Springs need to be protected. Do you think that Ron DeSantis will take a Springs kayak trip? <laughs> um and, he, and then David says I was sad to see how Wakula Springs water quality has gone downhill in recent years. Instead of b- being crystal c- clear, it's more like feces brown now ug. And I agree with that. I, I Wakula Springs is, is I've that's something that I've liter- you know, watched in my forty years in Florida watch that decline. It's it's noticeable. It's crazy. In, in my lifetime, what do you think, um, Ryan? What's what kind of report card would you give Ron DeSantis um, when it comes to the springs? I think that's the gist of, of David's question. Sure.
4: Well, first off, we'd love to get uh, Governor DeSantis out on our springs um, the way we did uh, Governor Bush. Um, that would be that would be terrific. Um, I know his DEP secretary has gone out on the the Santa Fe River um, with some uh, local environmentalists out there, so. Uh, there is some exposure. Um, unfortunately, you know, we've had a really bad time of it under, under Governor uh, DeSantis. Um, we continue to see our springs get worse and worse in both water quality and flow. Um, and the state agencies that he's in charge of uh, really refuse to follow the laws when it comes to protecting our environment. You know, there's a whole host of laws that the Department of Environmental Protection and the Water Management Districts are just ignoring. Um, and it's, you know, he should be holding them to account. The legislature should be holding to an account, but unfortunately those agencies are more of customer service agencies for polluters than regulatory agencies to protect our environment and public health.
2: And uh, the the council uh, filed a suit over that, correct? Over the lack of enforcement uh, by Ron DeSantis' environmental agency? Right. So we actually we, we filed the, the, the suit, um, in all fairness, before Governor DeSantis
4: um, um, took over, but it has been going on for quite a while under his um, his leadership and it could have been resolved. Um, we sued the Department of Environmental Protection because they did not follow the law when adopting basin management action plans to protect outstanding Florida Springs. Um, about seven, eight years ago, the legislature passed a law that designated 30 outstanding Florida Springs. These are the most famous springs, the ones uh, you've all heard of, Silver, Rainbow, Wakala, Wekaiva, um, Volusia Blue. Um, And this law said that the state had to adopt plans to restore those springs if they were impaired. And it turns out that 80% of our most important springs are impaired by too much nutrients, too much nitrogen and phosphorus, um, which largely comes from agriculture, septic tanks, wastewater, and urban fertilizer. And the law required the state agency to come up with a plan that would address that pollution. And the state agency, instead of doing that, um, they bowed down to the polluters and they created plans that did not have any teeth, were not enforceable, and did not not achieve the goals. Um, So we took them to court and we spent four years fighting um, the state in court just simply to get plans that follow the law. And I think, you know, when you're looking at how you grade this legislature and this governor, you have to realize that, you know, a bunch of small nonprofits and private citizens had to spend four years and hundreds of thousands of dollars in court just to get them to follow the law as it was passed. Um, and we were successful. We won a major victory in the first district court of appeals earlier this year, probably the biggest win by an environmental group in Florida in the last two decades. And that win is going to require DEP to go in and fix those plans and to actually make plans that meet the requirements of the law and will restore our springs.
1: Let me Let me just ask you that, you're, you're saying that, but weren't they supposed to do that in the first place? How do we know that this is going to work? I just want to ask that.
4: Right. Well, that's, the, I mean, that is the problem, right? Is that we should be able <laughs> to trust our state agencies, right? The, I mean, you know, this is the, it's supposed to be pretty simple. The legislature passes the law and the state agency implements it. Right. Um, unfortunately, here we have a place where if we want our state agencies to follow the law, we have to sue them. And I guess, you know, the only recourse we have is that we will continue to sue them and we will continue to beat them in court until they decide to do their jobs and follow the law.
2: You uh, mentioned that uh, uh, fertilizer, uh, which is rich with nitrogen, is one of the big threats uh, to our waterways. And I know uh, Michael uh, here who has been uh, working on that issue. uh, And there's some recent legislation that was passed that could undermine uh, what you've been doing. Tell us about. This, Michael, how long has this been going on and what is the uh, concern
3: now? Sure. So I think what, the one thing to note is that when it rains in Florida, it pours, right? We have a, a very distinct summer se- summer rainy season from June 1st until September 30th. For a number of years, uh, local governments across the state have been trying to pass um, urban fertilizer ordinances that create strict blackout periods. So where you can't apply fertilizer that contains nitrogen and phosphorus, those two key ingredients that really fuel you know things like red tide, blue-green algae. Uh, Lingby algae, things that really um, murky up our springs, pollute our estuaries and also rivers and lakes. And they've been very effective, right? We've had over 18 counties pass um, these strict urban fertilizer ordinances that, you know, don't allow folks to um, pollute our waterways. And now, Including some in the Tampa Bay area, right? Of course, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, all of them actually in the Tampa Bay area, Pinellas, Hillsborough, Manatee. Um, we recently also just got in the greater Tampa Bay area, Hern- Hernando County just added an um, urban fertilizer ordinance as well just um, last month. And these have been really um, important ways to really create cost-effective means to actually regulate pollution at its source. And at the very last last second, the 11th hour within the legislative session when the budget was being hashed out, we saw a, a provision I um, snuck in for a line item that basically would um, authorize um, University of Florida IFAS um, to basically commission a study, right? That would not, not, and while they're doing that study to evaluate these fertilizer ordinances, it wouldn't allow them to um, any local government to strengthen or or create any updates to their ordinances, basically tying the hands of local governments from from being able to pass one of the most effective means for regulating uh, stormwater pollution mm-hmm. in their own watersheds
2: until the study is completed. Until the how long completed. is that supposed to take?
3: Until next year.
2: And uh, did you see that perhaps this movement was spreading, and other counties were going to be adopting these ordinances? You mentioned that uh, Hillsboro I mean, Hernando just recently did it. Were there other counties that you were optimistic were going to embrace
3: this approach as well, and now they can't? Absolutely, yeah. I think I think there's a multitude of counties, especially in North Florida, where a lot of our springs are located, where we don't have these strong ordinances in place already um, that we would like to be able to, to be able to do that. I think places that come to mind are like Citrus County, where you know we have Kings Bay and Crystal River, um, places like um, Leon County, where you know McCull is located as well. Those places could have passed ordinances that would have helped to address some of these stormwater and urban fertilizer going into these spring sheds
2: and what's the status of that uh, legislation has the governor signed
3: that into law yet no he has not and he has until july 1st to do so so we're very optimistic that he will listen to the public outcry that has been coming out from this i yeah. mean there was so many organizations and businesses and also residents and community groups that were so opposed to this because they realize that this is one of the best tools we have in our toolkit to effectively manage stormwater uh, from from polluting our waterways, so we're confident that um, the, that you know Governor Santos will be sensible and also veto this line item because he can do that still.
1: When you uh, last time I went to Aculla, I did one of the uh, boat rides there, and they mm-hmm. they say specifically the reason that this water is murkier than it used to be is because of runoff from Tallahassee. <laughs> you know, and, and I mean I mean that literally, not yeah. figuratively. <laughs>
2: Literally, that's what (laughs) they say. But either way, it works.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, We have a a message from somebody who says, is anonymous, this person is, and says, in the late 60s, early 70s, we used to go out in a place, I think it was outside of Gainesville, in the middle of the pasture. There was a hole that just dropped down, and you could see water down there, and the sides bellied out. Once you dropped in from the top opening, the hole got bigger and wider. The water was crystal clear. Someone had embedded ladders into the side, And you could climb up two different levels that were dug into the clay to go into the smaller holes, which would take you back to the pasture service. Not totally following that, but it sounds like it was cool. Beyond beautiful, it may have been Devil's Den, not sure. The times that I went there, there was never a soul other than the group I was with, which is an interesting thing. We'll talk about that, about how some of these sites get loved to death.
0: Oh. You know, like me yes. yeah. when
1: I used to visit the Itch- Itchituckney years and years ago, it was so beautiful. I still love going, but it's 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 not what it was because people like me love it so much.
3: The Wikiwachi River, for example. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a really good segue, actually, um, because one of our local groups, the Adventure Coast Group, which is located in Hernando and Citrus County, has been working really hard with, um, the, with the Board of County Commissioners there and also the state to um, pass a spring protection zone. And basically what this would essentially do is create um, responsible, compatible uses for you know, going on on that river. I mean, that spring-fed river. Um, I mean, if you, if anyone's ever been to Wikiwachie River, it really is a, a tale of two spring runs, right? Mm-hmm. So you have the the portion of the spring run that's at the head springs, where the state park is, where the boundaries are for for that state-owned land, where and, the mermaids are, where the mermaids are exactly, and they they do their their magical aerial um underwater dances. And then you have, the, you have the the other portion of the spring run, which is largely private land, right? Um, going down to Rogers Park and then further down that way. That, air, that in, the sta- in, the, in the state park portion of it, you're not allowed to dismount from your from your paddleboard or your kayak or your vessel, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't see people trampling on the submerged aquatic vegetation, the eel grasses, yeah. um, the native plants that are there, right? Or or also causing erosion in the shorelines. But when you get past the state park boundaries, it's all, you know, there are no rules essentially, right? right? And it becomes party central and people, you know, don't have the more, the more cognizant understanding of, you know, what how, what they're doing in these spring runs is actually hurting the submerged aquatic vegetation, which is the habitat for our fish. They have
1: motorboats on there. You see motorboats on there. You see
3: motorboats on there as well, yeah, and people will will disembark from them them as well.
2: But it is a beautiful stretch of river, and you can see why people are are so drawn to it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, on the weekends, especially in the summer, it Uh, can be crazy.
1: um, We have um, an email from Archie who says it was Devil's Mill Hopper that was described in that last um, text message, that cool place near Gainesville that was uh, looked like a, a fun, deserted swimming hole that people went to. Uh, we got a couple um, callers on the line. Let's talk to um, Susan in Pasco County. Susan in Pasco County, you're on the line. What's on your mind?
5: Um, well, um, I appreciate what you guys are doing, and I just want to know, does anybody do anything with Mosaic, all the pollution they're doing, and were they fined for that big pollution thing they did uh, I don't know how many years ago, maybe 10 years ago. They didn't tell anybody right away and said, oh, it's not affecting the red tide. It's all horrible there. Absolutely horrible what they're doing. And I don't know if they were fined or anything. Anybody says anything. You know, we can make fertilizer out of all kinds of stuff. We don't need to dig down on the ground like that.
1: Ryan, so any response to that? Have you guys done any um, uh, work with Mosaic?
4: Um, We, you know, beyond just Mosaic, we're largely opposed to phosphate mining in Florida, uh, no matter who is doing it. Uh, Mosaic is kind of the most famous company, uh, the largest, but there's a lot of folks that want to mine phosphate in Florida. Uh, And, you know, in my mind, it's really only one way to kill a spring. Um And it's phosphate mining. Um, so, you know, we work to oppose phosphate mining in the spring areas uh, wherever we can. Um, local folks up in the Santa Fe area uh, recently were able to work with some local counties up there to defeat a large phosphate mine that was being planned. that would have had uh, devastating impacts on the Santa Fe River. Um, and I know Sierra Club has been leading the way on phosphate mining for for a long time and opposing it in Florida.
2: Michael,
1: and- any any, any but, response but, to our call? But power? back to Susan's okay.
2: point, uh, the other problem is the waste that piles up. And I think, uh, Susan, you were referring to Piney Point, uh, which went into the river and the bay. Um, are, do you see those as ticking time bombs?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so we're, we're very active within a coalition called Fossil Gypsum Free America Phosphogypsum, as you're alluding to, is the waste product that comes from from processing um, phosphate ore when it's mined from the earth. You know, it's slightly radioactive, so you can't actually dispose of it in any sort of safe way. So it ends up being stored in these these giant mountains, if you will, mm-hmm. um, uh, um, and called, you know, phosphogypsum stacks, which are all across the landscape in central Florida. Well, largely in Hillsborough, Manatee, um, and in Polk counties. And you know, we're we're very opposed to, to phosphate mining um, and also the toxic um, practice that it represents. I mean, Piney Point was just such a such a devastating um, uh, catastrophe for Tampa Bay. I mean we saw over 225 million gallons of of um, you know nitrate contaminated water um, that was also slightly radioactive being released in the Tampa Bay within the course of eight days. That's that's basically about the amount of nutrients that Tampa Bay receives in a calendar year. Mm-hmm. And we saw what the outfall was from that. It fueled the red tide blooms. there's so much dead fish. We saw sharks coming into canals, fish trying just trying trying to find a way to to escape. You know this 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 um, toxic bloom, and uh, you know it was absolutely devastating for right. folks here.
1: Um, thanks for the call, Susan. I appreciate it. Um, we've got an email from somebody who says, um, let me see, who is this from? Bubba, it's interesting how WikiWachi is getting national attention because of the docu docuseries on Netflix. What an odd subculture. Worth a look. What do you guys think about that, the Mer series? Is that good? Is that good? It seems like that would be good for your causes. Ryan, what, what do you think? You there? I haven't seen it.
3: <laughs> you, I, I'm, I'm putting on my, my my to watch list tonight, so it's on Netflix. Yeah, I'm,
1: yeah it's What's on Netflix. It called, again?
3: called the Mur series, Mur people, Mer a docu
1: series on Netflix. Okay. Um, and Bubba also suggested a um, has an idea for a uh, photo op for you. He suggests doing a, um, a graveyard, a mock graveyard for all of the Dead Springs. Um, he mentioned Kissing Jing Springs and. Bartow, mm-hmm. and there are others. And White Springs, I think, is a another dead spring.
3: Yep, and bo- both those are both those are casualties from phosphate mining. As How? Ryan was alluding to earlier, there's only one way you can kill a spring, and that's you know.
1: And explain that. How does that work? How does phosphate mining kill a spring?
3: Sure, um, I'll try and tackle this. And Ryan, you can chime in as well. Um, so, you know, when you, when, you, when you process all the phosphate ore, right, it, it's very water-intensive for that sort of practice. And when, when you're withdrawing much water at that quick of a rate in the, spring, in the spring shed, it actually will deplete the spring to the point where it can't recover anymore. So um, it's just, you know, I, I, can't, I can't come up with the figures off, off the top of my head for how much water is used for, for mining for, per acre, but it's, it's heavily, heavily water-intensive.
1: Okay, so that's what it
2: is. But when we talk about the threat to springs in Florida... It seems like White Springs is should be the poster child for mm-hmm. this because it's literally dead, right? And used to be a place where thousands of people a year would go to enjoy the springs. And when did that, uh, Ryan, maybe you can tell us, when did that happen? Well, it, it, it,
4: it happened over time. Um, but, you know, as Michael was saying, you basically create this big cone of depression. You're using so much water that you drop the level in the aquifer so far that the water is no longer has enough pressure to shoot out the spring vent. And that's how you end up with uh, um, uh, springs looking you know like they like they do now, like White Springs. Um, but if you go back and look at some of the pictures and your viewers can uh, your listeners can go online and just, you know, circle, uh, search for White Springs 1920s um, and there's still the, the spring house there. And it's amazing. It was multiple stories. There'd be hundreds of people there. And it was a huge draw. Um, for that area. And it's been completely replaced by, by phosphate mining, which is not a draw you know, for anyone.
1: Um, we've got Karen um, from Golf Part on the line. Let's hear what Karen has to say. She wants to talk about the springs. Karen, you're on your mind. On the All line. Right, well, What's on your mind? You're on my uh, mind, Karen, and you're on the line.
6: <laughs> well, you know, um, when I went to school, at University of Florida, I got my degree in recreation, spent a lot of time in the springs up there. And of course, one great thing I learned that was very inspiring is that it's the only place in the world It has so many first-magnitude springs, and to me, you know, that makes it all a wonder of the world. And I know many people come there, but, um, you know, it it really needs to be a treasure to everybody. Even when I go to Wikiwachi, which is the closest spring to where I live here in St. Pete Gulfport area, um, I can no longer take my kayak, which is state park land, and take my kayak, which is non-motorized, and go down the river. So I'm not allowed to do that anymore, which really surprises me because, you know, there's no gas. But then I see these little gas-powered, you know, vehicles on the river. And to me, it kind of hurts my heart to even see that. But, um, you know, the springs really need all the protection that they can get and all the people that can stand up to it. And I remember they were going to make a a water plant uh, taking water out of the springs, bottled water. And I never really heard what else happened to that. Um, up in North Florida but for me the springs are a treasure and everybody really needs to wake
1: up to that fact um, well it's funny you should say that because we were going to talk about that next up Karen you cued us up perfectly but first I just want to mention that yeah we've got the the largest concentration of freshwater springs in the world in Florida so it is it is a treasure it's an international treasure um, I appreciate your comments Karen and, and what is a
2: first magnitude spring uh, uh, Ryan or Michael Ryan
4: the magnitude is based on how much flow comes out. So first magnitudes are the, the largest flowing springs. And then second magnitudes are um, the second largest. You know, most of the springs you've heard of are going to be first or second magnitudes. And then third and fourth are kind of your, your smaller springs. Um-
1: We'll come back and, as Karen mentioned, she wanted to ask about the bottling of um, spring water. We're going to talk about Nestle and the um, the ongoing um, battle between Nestle and the Florida Springs Council. But first, let's um, pl- uh, get this play a promo for another one of our WMNF shows.
2: Have you heard of the Seventy Show? Girl, all right, right. No. Not heard up Rocky Saki says KTUF Rocks. The 70 show rocks with KTUF. Saturdays two to four. Come, Come sail, sail away, away with
1: us. us. Okay, that promo is as fun as Snorkeling in a Florida freshwater spring let's <laughs> <to> say <laughs> and refreshing too, so um Karen brought up the bottling of the of the water, and so that's been an ongoing uh, there's a lawsuit right now between the Florida spring C- Council a legal battle and um, a permit granted to Nestle to pool water from Ginny Springs around um, Gainesville, which is private property they're pulling water from private property. the permit costs them about Hundred fifty dollars, and the company stands to make billions of dollars. Um, and that's in Jenny Springs. That's, that's which in is Jenny a Springs. First
2: magnitude spring, is that right?
0: Yes, yes. portion Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and uh, the, these these. Permits are given out so easily. There's barely thousands and thousands of them are applied for every year, and there are a handful are actually denied. And what's happening? What happened is happening with Ginny Springs is a case study in a documentary that was recently released by the Florida Springs Council. Let's listen to um, a little clip from that.
4: Got it. So they are handing out the water that belongs to us, but not even taking the time to see what our concerns and how we want to protect that water is.
3: So why, in early 2021, did the Water Management District approve a $115 permit for a company to make billions of dollars by taking public water?
4: My understanding is that over 99% of water use permits have been improved by the districts uh, over the last 30 or 40 years. And the reason is because they're not taking into account the public interest or the interest of our environment in making those permitting decisions. They're only looking at how the water can benefit private industry and how it can turn a profit, not looking at the big picture of what's best for our state. This water belongs to us. It doesn't belong to corporations. It doesn't belong to developers. It belongs to each and every one of us. And it's our responsibility to make sure that it's protected.
3: It's clear we can't rely on our government to rule on these permits with our best interests in mind. As the governor appoints the water management district members, it's suggested that he includes diverse backgrounds, including environmental interests. But it's not required. There's no requirement that anyone represents Floridians.
4: Right now, there's kind of a Ponzi scheme when it comes to Florida's environment. On one hand, they're handing out permits to every corporation that comes along and wants to pump water. Then they're using our taxpayer money for projects to make up for the harm that those permits and those water uses are, are
2: causing. And that's what we... So we,
1: the Florida Springs Council filed a um, to to overturned this permit that was granted to Nestle for bottled water drawn from Ginny Springs near Gainesville about a month ago. Um, And Ryan, tell us what the status of that is. Where are we at with that right now?
4: Yep. So we went to uh, we had our actual hearing in Tallahassee um, about three weeks ago Mm -hmm. um, in front of the administrative law judge. Um, These hearings are a little bit different than what you might see in like law and order. You know, they don't say like who wins at the end of the the hearing.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
4: Us and our team of lawyers are, you know, going back into and we're working on the motions and final orders. Um, which we will get to the judge within the next few weeks. Um, And then the judge will make a ruling, hopefully hopefully within the next month or two, um, on whether or not they met the conditions for permit issuance.
1: So that's an issue that you have ongoing, a a, a battle that's continuing. You have, we talked earlier about the success that you had in um, pressing for the Florida Department of um, Environmental Protection to actually follow the law and clean up the springs. Um, But you also had um, a recent victory with Rainbow River Ranch, um, what can you tell us about that?
4: Yeah, this is something that we're super proud of. Um, and the, uh, this is something we've worked on for years, but it's actually the the, the deal is going to close um, in a matter of weeks, which is very exciting. A few years ago, a major uh, landowner and one of the biggest private developers in Florida wanted to put an RV park and hotel Um, on the last remaining large undeveloped parcel along the Rainbow River. Um, The Rainbow River is a first magnitude, uh, fed by Rainbow Springs, a first magnitude spring, one of the largest springs in the world, um, and one of the most famous. Um, And it would have done serious damage, both from the uh, nutrient pollution, as well as from just the harm of putting that many more people on the river. Um, So Florida Springs Council worked with Rainbow River Conservation uh, on a very uh, ambitious local effort to kill that development. And we were successful in getting the developer to pull the development proposal. Um, And then he went and did something great. He put that land into permanent conservation. Um, which was approved um, earlier in the year, and they just closed the deal. So now not only will that land not be an RV park, you know, it will never be developed ever, Um, you know, providing those great ecological services that the rainbow relies on um, to stay the beautiful river we all
2: know. Did that property owner uh, get paid for those conservation rights? Did the state intervene to uh, block that development? Well, no, the state did not intervene to block it. Um, We
4: beat him in a political public process um, where it he, you know, I think he understood that he was not going to have the votes to get the development approved mm-hmm. um, after the massive public outrage um, that we were able to tap into, um, and he did get paid for it as he should. Um, you know, that land is incredibly important. Um, you know, we're never going to get people to put things in conservation if we don't make it, you know, financially uh, reasonable right. for them to do so. Um, so, you know, it's tough to think of a better use of our taxpaying dollars than taking uh, some land that's about <laughs> to be developed along the spring and you know, permanently protecting right. that land. You know, he gets to keep the land, enjoy it with his family. He can have guests there, but we're not going
2: to have the impacts of a major development. You know, it's, a, it's a true win-win. But yeah. I think that's a good example of where property owners have such an important role in all of this. If, As we mentioned, Jenny Springs is privately owned. Presumably, they are getting paid by Nestle. Is that correct? Right. So, so
4: Nestle sold their North American water bottling company off as a whole, and it's now called Blue Triton. So just to be clear, we call it Blue Triton, formerly known as Nestle. Oh. Um, and that's, you know, that is who is going to be bottling the water. Um, you know, it's important to note that well the land around Ginny Springs is private, you know, the spring itself is right. not private. All of our waters in Florida are, are, are publicly owned if you can access them, um, you know, from a navigable waterway, which Jenny Springs is a navigable waterway. So, you know, the water belongs to all of us. And, and that's why we filed the challenge, because essentially the law says that for a permit to be issued, it has to be in the public's interest, all of our interests. Mm-hmm. And in that situation, you have a river that's already suffering significant harm from over withdrawals. And you have a big private company that wants to come in and take a million gallons a day without giving anything really back to the local community.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, while our taxpayers' money is used to make up for the harm that they're causing. Mm-hmm. And we and the 19,000 people that wrote in think that that is not in the public's interest. And the heart of our challenge is that our state agencies are not following the law by considering you know, what our right to our water is.
2: Well, what, what is the uh, interest then of the property owners there who is allowing Nestle to... Uh, access that water.
4: Well, sure. I mean, they they have a contract to provide the water um, and get paid to provide it, so it can be bottled. So it's a, I'm sure it's a
2: financial motivation. So they get paid while the taxpayers get $150 for the permit. Correct. Yeah.
1: That kind of makes me not want to camp there, <laughs> the Ginny Springs campground. Um, so let's. We talked a little bit about the documentary earlier. One of the big things that you guys do is you're. You talk about advocacy, but you also talk about changing culture, which is part of what your public awareness campaign is. So the documentary is one piece of that. We talked about that earlier.
2: And where can people see that? It's a 15-minute documentary. It's, it's a, a very fast-paced, uh, a little depressing. Uh, where can people view that?
4: it's called The Water State. Folks can find it on YouTube. Um, it's by a wonderful filmmaker named Brent Fannin. Um, and you know, I think it does a really good job of describing that issue in our work
1: um got an email from david who says um hope you don't mind me asking one more question david that's okay you can ask as many as you want um a few times i've gone to springs like fanning and Ginny in recent years for swimming several times i've seen clouds of white in the clear water apparently from sunscreen that has not yet been absorbed on fellow swimmer bodies um can you can you speak about this pollution from swimmers and its effect on the health of the springs and the rivers they feed michael you want to you have any thoughts on that
3: Sure, I think I think the biggest pollution still for our springs is is not necessarily sunblock, um, but it's it's the overwhelming nutrients that go into our springs. You know, nitrogen and phosphorus are really the culprits when we talk about a lot of the die-offs we see for native vegetation, for a lot of that submerged aquatic vegetation that you see in those spring runs. And also the other thing that I think is hurting our springs more than anything is just uh, people loving to death and you know trampling the vegetation when they're tubing, um, and you know that which again hurts it, it basically uh, will rut through the through the habitat and basically uh, you know. To make over time.
1: So, what is your message on that in terms of visiting the springs? Or do you want to encourage people to visit the springs? Oh, absolutely. Or, yeah. Okay. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Just, but I think I think it all comes down to being responsible, right, when you recreate and just making sure that you know you're not going to be, um, you know, trampling uh, things while you're while you're there as well.
2: I wonder how many people have visited our springs. There are a lot of newcomers to Florida, as we know, and there are a lot of people who have lived in a, here in the Tampa Bay area for a long time and have never taken the time to explore uh these springs. Do you think if more people went and they might fall in love with the springs,
3: this might help your cause? Absolutely. I think when you think about a conservation ethic, right, you can't protect something unless you love it first. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think I would encourage everyone this summer to opt outside and to go and visit a local spring because it's the only way you're going to fall in love with the, the water, tre- the watery treasures we have in our state. I mean, they were really the awesome. best time I mean, to visit. Really, spring, there's right?
1: nothing better. I mean, you go in the middle of the summer, you go float down the Weeki You would never know it is a hundred and thousand degrees out. Mm-hmm. It feels so cool when you're on that water.
3: Yeah, for folks who don't know, our springs are 72 degrees year-round. Right? I mean, they really yeah. are eyes into our aquifer. All that spring water coming up is, you know, always 72 degrees. So it's just so refreshing, right? I mean, I think when um, you know, when, when, when Ponce de Leon was looking for the founding youth, I think he probably, probably encountered a spring and said, there, I, I found it.
2: <laughs> but it also is, as Albert mentioned in, in this, the, I opened with his, his poetic description of the springs. It really does uh, take you back to the days right. of Ponce de Leon. You can just imagine because it's so undeveloped. And I think that's one of the reasons people love it so much. They're surrounded by development every day. And yet here's a peaceful place.
1: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to um, Wavemakers with Janet and Tom on um, WMNF 88.5 FM and our guests are Ryan Smart and Michael McGrath from the Florida Springs Council and we are talking about protecting Florida Springs, an incredible natural resource here in our state. Uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, tell us uh, about an experience you've had on the springs or ask a question about protecting them, you can call us at 813-239-9663 or you can send us an email to dj at WMNF.org. So you have um, an event coming up in um, Tampa, or not Tampa, and. Um, uh uh, safety harbor Safety Harbor. sorry about that um at crooked thumb brewery on june 24th and it's a it's, they're calling it sip for the springs ryan what can you tell us about that what's what is the what's what's behind the sip for the springs it looks like you guys are on a brewery tour around the state
3: Yeah, we we,
4: um, love partnering with our our local uh, craft brewers. We find that they're some of our uh, best allies in springs protection. Um, So we will be at Crooked Thumb on June 24th. Um, We work with a lot of great artists who create uh, glasses and T-shirts and all kinds of uh, cool gear. Um, They're going to be really nice and uh, give people a discount when they buy one of our our, our beers or one of our glasses. Um, So we really encourage folks to come out and see us um, on the twenty fourth, um, we're also going to be at Three Daughters um, on June twenty third oh, okay. um, at their at their market. So uh, yeah, if you want to come out, um, I'll be there. Our team will be there. If you want to come out, talk Springs, meet us in person, find out more about what we're doing. Um, we'd love to. We'd love to meet everybody out there.
1: And there's a, a a Florida is there a Florida Springs passport that you can get when you come to that event?
4: Um. Yes, there is. We actually uh, work with the folks who do the Florida Springs passport, and we uh, we tend to hand those out for free to folks who come out to our events. Okay. so uh, you know, show on up. It's got twelve or thirteen of our of our favorite springs in it. um information on you know how how to visit it. Um just to go back to something we're talking about wikiwachi and the effect that individual people can have. You know, if folks want to go to Itchituckney about during COVID, they stopped allowing tubers on the north part of the Itchituckney run. Um, and the way that run has come back, it looks better than I've ever seen it in my life um, because you, now it's just kayakers. So you get all the feet off of the seagrass right and not only has the seagrass come back but all the wildlife has come back um Interesting. It is absolutely gorgeous so uh you know i would encourage everyone to to get out and visit a spring um but my favorite thing right now to do is to do that north part of a get there early in the morning see the otters the birds it's gorgeous we've
1: got a, a bunch of folks on the line here um jimmy and saint pete wants to talk about rainbow river jimmy and saint pete you're on the line what's up
0: Hello, I just wanted to um, comment on the conservation of Rainbow River uh, was very good news to me. That's the river that I went in the 70s. And um, when uh, there, there were still the uh, glass bottom boats there from the old attraction that they had. And um, I was there before the state took it over. And it was just a little campground in the woods. Mm hmm. And uh, it's just uh, a really amazing spot, that is.
1: Do you still go to the springs and the river? Yes. Yep. How often do you go?
0: I just uh, every, you know, couple months or whatever, and go all the way down until it turns into the Wicla and goes from crystal clear to tan Tannin water.
1: Have you seen the, the, you've been doing this for a long time, visiting the springs? Yes, ma'am. And have you seen them change over the years? Um, yeah, well,
0: um, not so much as what they were talking about with White Springs and all that, you mm-hmm. know. But I don't know this; they weren't impacted as much. And I was curious because uh, I didn't hear anything about uh, Silver Springs and how that one's doing.
1: What's that? What's um, Michael? What can you tell us? What, what's the health of Silver Springs like? Thanks for the call, Jimmy.
3: Yeah. So Silver Springs also is impaired or overpolluted. It's one of those um, springs that we referenced earlier. That's, that's um, an outstanding Florida spring that, you know, we brought a legal challenge to because it was not being um, restored properly. Um, you know, Silver Springs has a lot of issues, like a lot of those springs, too many, too many nutrients going into it. Um, there's also a lot of invasive species from, you know, um, catfish, I mean, uh, tilapia, for example, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, are is d- due to lack of restored river flow between the Okawaha and also Silver River and St. John's River. So, um, you know, that's a that's a campaign that Sierra Club and Forest Springs Council is also active on as well, trying to take down the Rodman Reservoir and to get you know, to have a controlled breach for there so that we can have some that restoration for for silver.
1: Um, and Spring Chicken John here, who's running our board, wants to know is that if a spring dies, can it be um, revived
3: Can it be resuscitated? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, at least for the ones that we've mentioned, say for Kissinger and also for for White, not that I'm aware of, no. But, but did they talk restore about,
1: one? Yeah. There was the Ula- the Spring by Ulay at um, uh, the Columbia Restaurant in Tampa Heights. In Tampa oh, Heights. I, I
3: know I know about that one. Okay, yeah.
1: Yeah. Wasn't it? Was it restored?
3: I
2: think well, it
1: we, was, we do.
3: I think your group
0: does
2: talk about um, uh, guarding, protecting, and uh, restoring. So, mm-hmm. what kind of restoration? I guess there's a tipping point. At some point, there's no turning back. Mm-hmm. But there are restoration uh, steps that can be taken for some of these springs. I, I we don't want to leave people the uh, impression that
3: all hope is lost. Sure, I, I think I think the the two phosphate mining examples we have were, were very dramatic examples. Mm-hmm. Um, But, you know, I think there is hope on the horizon for our springs. Um, It really, again, comes down to putting our springs on a diet, if you will, from nutrients, Um, Mm. right? So when we think about the state cleanup plans, the basin management action plans we were referencing earlier, right, it's about limiting the amount of nutrients we get into our waterways. And if we do that, we'll give our springs a chance to recover, and we'll see a lot of the habitat um, and also the the wildlife um, and also our recreational opportunities as well um, improve over time. Water clarity will become better. Right. And, you know, we won't see all the slime that we see currently in our springs. It won't be so murky.
1: Yeah. Let's go to the phones. We've got Nancy and St. Pete. Nancy and St. Pete, you're on the line. What's on your mind?
5: Hey, yeah. Uh, How about Zephyr Hills water? Uh, Zephyr Hills water comes from Crystal Springs. And um, I understand that Crystal Springs, which uh, used to be open to the public to get water anytime they wanted from an artesian well there, um, that's closed off now. And that was left to the state by the Private owner, and uh, I wonder if it was like a ninety-nine year thing, and it ran out, or what happened with that. But it used to be wonderful water; it was completely uncontaminated. And I used to go walk, uh, drive up there and, uh, you know, get a couple of five-gallon jugs and, wow. you know, you know, and put them put them in there, uh, put the water in there, and that would last me for a week. And it was great because we can't we couldn't uh, drink the tap water over there in Crystal Springs. Because, uh, the Hillsborough River's right there and the phosphate, uh, mines up there, um, that's, that's where the headwaters are to the Hillsborough River. And, and the water was just, we well, just didn't, you, you, it was undrinkable. Yeah. You know? And, uh, uh, you know, and so I would wonder, like with Zephyr Hills water that came from Crystal Springs, how much over the course of 40 years, uh, with the ownership of Perrier and Coca-Cola and Nestle, of course, um, how much they extracted from our water, which we can't drink down here in St. Petersburg anymore, because the water just tastes like pool water. I'll take my answer offline.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Nancy.
2: Thanks, Nancy. Ryan, what do you think? Uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, sp- there is a lot of spring water being pumped to put in plastic uh, bottles, right? Zaffer Hills being one of them, right? So, I mean, you know,
4: looking at it as a percentage the amount of water used for water bottling is, is very, very small. Um, You know, compared to what we use for agriculture or to water our lawns or, you know, inside our homes. I mean, it is a minuscule um, percentage. One of the reasons why we are uh, have taken litigation in the Seven Springs uh, Blue Triton issue is because they're pulling that water more or less directly from the spring. And what the state has found is that when you pull the water directly from the spring, you do about 900 times more damage than if you were to pull that water seven miles away or if you were to get it from um, public supply. Um, so, you know, it's really that, you know, when you see that label that says spring water, that's what you should be avoiding because that's the mm-hmm. water that's doing the major damage to our environment. I mean, we all need to drink water, right? Um, you know, obviously plastic part of bottled water is terrible, but when it comes to the actual water, you know, we all have to drink water, but we don't want that water to be drawn straight from a spring.
1: Yeah, I filter my tap water. That's how I get my water. I don't like the plastic, you know, and I don't like withdrawing the water from our springs. Um, we've got um, Lenny on the line. Lenny from Part, you are on the line. What's on your mind, Lenny? Let's talk about I, ballot issues. Uh,
7: I am a volunteer for a group that's called Water Right to Clean Water. And uh, the issue that we've been talking about here uh, that the state has been very negligent in protecting clean waters, not even following the laws that are already on the books.
0: Mm
7: -hmm. Um, This effort is to uh, declare that clean water is a fundamental right to Florida and that if a state agency, such as the Department of Environmental Protection, is not following the rules that it's supposed to, that we would have the right to sue that agency. And, uh, we're trying to get this amendment on the ballot, and we have petitions there's the petition drive going on right now to try to get um nine hundred thousand petitions signed to get this amendment on the ballot for twenty twenty four and uh the-
1: are you familiar with what- that michael? yeah, I am yes uh. Tell us, can you tell us more about it? Thanks for, thanks for the call, Lenny. I'll leave you on the line if you guys want to interact a little bit. But
3: sure, sure, what- sure. I mean, I, th- I think it's a great citizen initiative um, to try and get this on the ballot. I mean, we need something in Florida because the status quo is clearly not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just keep, we just keep on kicking the can down the road. So... Um, yeah, I mean I, I've been really impressed by folks who have been um ca- canvassing and also uh going to different events, have asking, asking folks to, you know, sign this petition, pretty much any sort of community event you go to. Um there are activists out there, you know, trying to do the hard work of getting more and more folks to um
1: to sign on to this on ballot initiative. Thanks for the call, Lenny. We really appreciate it. Um if, one
7: thing more yeah. Uh, the website to go to is called FloridaRightToCleanWater.org.
1: Florida Right uh, think- to Cleanwater dot org. Florida right to dot org. Yes.
7: Um a lot of details about how the state has been very negligent uh, in fulfilling its duties. And the saddest thing of all is that we're, we're suing ourselves to get the state to do the job that we want them to do. Right. It's, it's pathetic. Thanks well,
1: thank for the call, for- Lenny, and thanks for listening.
2: Well, that's got to be thank frustrating you. because you want to pass law. You want to try to get the legislature to pass laws to protect the environment. Mm-hmm. But that's only half the story. then you have to get the agencies to enforce those laws and so, how do you deal with that? How do you keep How do you keep going That's what I want to know you guys,
3: Michael, how do you keep going in the face of so much opposition? Sure, I mean it's always a constant tug of war right um And you know I always like to I always like to think that you know um, our tales are kind of like um, Sisyphus rolling the, the boulder up the hill, only to see it fall back down the- um the hill once again. but I think the key is to fall in love with with, with rolling the boulder up each day. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, that's what I, that's what I was trying, trying to do for myself. If I need a reprieve from, you know, the exhaustion of this sort of work, I, I have a great place to to go do it at the Springs. And that's, you know, where I try and find my sort of solace and also recovery when, you know, there's just too much mental exhaustion because right now it really is a paper war more than anything.
1: Right, right. You guys have done a lot though in the last 10 years. Um, Ryan, what, what do you think, what do you think are your biggest accomplishments in the last 10 years?
4: Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, just to go back to this, I think what, what keeps me going, and I, I imagine Michael, too, is, you know, we're winning. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, specifically the Florida Springs Council and Sierra Club are winning some major victories. You know, we right. talked about the Rainbow River uh, development. We talked about the Basin Management Action Plan litigation. Um, Michael really was the, the key person in the state of Florida in stopping the uh, M cores and the toll road expansion that would have torn up um, an area just to the north of where you all now um, with development and roads um, you know and a lot of these things when we start working on them folks say we're crazy and it's impossible you'll never beat the state you'll never stop the road you'll never protect the land um, but you know what inspires me is the thousands of people that come out to our meetings that support us that you know have a stake and, and really put some skin in the game. Um, they write letters to, you know, to their legislators. You know, we just, we have an advocacy system and we just generated our 10,000 female. Hmm. Uh, to legislators. Um, asking wow. them to take political action. Um, so, you know, what keeps me going is the fact that we're actually protecting some of this stuff and we're beating folks like Nestle and we're beating the developers and we're beating the people who don't appreciate what we have in our state. I'm a native Floridian born and raised in Jacksonville, just had my 43rd birthday and uh, my daughter's 18 and I want to leave this better than it was. Um, that's my goal. And that's what I get up every morning trying to do. Um, and I'm going to keep doing it.
2: And if listeners are opposed to this uh, bill that would uh, block the fertilizer regulations that have been uh, uh, imposed locally, what should they do now? Is this this is kind of a prime moment for them, right?
3: Absolutely, this is a, p- a moment where we have to strike while the iron is hot. Um, I would definitely encourage folks to um, email Governor um, DeSantis, call his office. Right, people will actually will answer those phone lines mm-hmm. on occasion. So um, be persistent. You know, um, keep on sending this, these emails and also phone calls in because you know it's, we're never really going to be able to make. Um, changes of unless we actually you know oppose things and also come out in force as well and you know that's that's why the Sierra Club does what we do right we are a grassroots membership based organization um, we really try and uh, find ways to get our members and also our volunteers and our leaders engaged in our campaigns and get, get them aware of what what's going on and how they can hold go- um, government accountable.
2: So help Michael push that rock up the hill <laughs> so it doesn't go back down on him. That's
1: right. And Ryan, if people want to get involved in the Florida Springs Council, what they should they do?
4: Sure. Well, this is a a great time to get involved. Especially, you know, if you want to be more up to date on these legislative things, you know, on ways that you can make a difference with just taking a couple minutes, um, like stopping this fertilizer ban, floridaspringscouncil.org. We have a free informed membership that has, you know, you get all of our notices. We have a very uh, fancy advocacy system for a little nonprofit that lets you contact your legislators directly via email or phone and makes all of that really easy. So, you know, I would encourage everyone go to floridaspringscouncil.org, sign up for a free membership and help us protect the springs.
1: And then you have a couple events coming up. So June 23rd, you will be at the market at the Green Bench Brewery. No, 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 Three Three Daughters. Three Daughters. Three Daughters. daughters. Right around the the corner. Right around the corner. And then um, you will be the next day, June 24th, at Crooked Thumb in Safety Harbor, correct?
2: Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Interesting connection you have there because breweries need clean water.
3: That's right. I mean,
2: yeah, there's only four ingredients in beer and...
3: Water's a big one. I know I know this is a, a used um, uh, saying all the time, but water really is life. It really is the foundation for all of our, mm-hmm. our lives, and it's something that's really sacred and special that you know, deserves protecting. So,
2: And I think uh, getting back to the point that was made in the documentary, the fact that uh, corporations are getting away with their what they're doing and then asking taxpayers to clean up their mess is one of the more enraging parts of this entire scenario.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Well, stay tuned. Um, Coming up next, there's a a new show. We've gone gone through some programming changes, so there's another hour of news coming up next. Um, Alternative Radio um, will be up next, um, and that'll be after the NPR News. And then is Harrison Nash on after that? Harrison Nash will be Then Harrison Nash will follow that. So um, that'll be great. Next week we will be back. Pitching. It'll be a fun drive. It's our summer fun drive, but you do not have to wait until next week to donate. You can go to WMNF.org and hit the tip jar if you want to make a donation to um, the Wavemaker Show. We would appreciate it very much. If you enjoy
2: these kinds of uh, informed conversations about public affairs and news, it's vital. Please support WMNF during our fun drive next yeah,
1: week. Yeah, it's, it's a constantly shrinking um, news landscape that we have, and I think that it's important to um, keep on getting the word out. We were happy to have the Florida Springs Council here today. It's one of the, the, our goals on WaveMakers is to um, have people who are making a difference and not just talking about uh, making a, a problems. Thanks, making Ryan, a and thanks,
2: Michael, for joining us. This
1: is WMNF Tampa. Mm-hmm.